0: James, welcome to the BGSN podcast. Um, I'm just going to start, if it's okay with you, by asking you both to introduce yourselves. So, uh, Marit, if we can start with you, that'd be great.
1: Okay, he- hello everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Marek Waltonen. I'm uh, the Chief Medical Officer for the Finnish Olympic Committee and the Research physician at the Research Centre for Olympic Sports in Jyväskylä, Finland.
0: Thank you very much for joining us, Marit. And uh, James, I know this is your third podcast now at BGSM, so listeners might uh, kind of recognize your voice, but for those who haven't, can you do you mind just giving us a two to three sentence summary of, of yourself and your work?
2: Uh, well, thanks Steph for having me on again. Um, I take that as an endorsement, but uh, I'm a chest physician at the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, but I also have a specific interest in helping athletes with breathing problems. And I do that type of work at the Institute of Sport, Exercise and Health, UCL in London, where I'm an associate professor.
0: Wonderful. And this podcast is kind of fresh from your symposium, at the IOC conference in Monaco. Uh, and we're going to get started with a, a bit of a practical question with you, Marit, if that's OK. And, and that is, what's the big issue here with respiratory tract infections in athletes? Uh, why is it a problem?
1: Well, first of all, it's the most common illness in athletes. Um, uh, Of course, one can think that it's pretty trivial um, to have a common cold. But for athletes, especially if uh, they get infection just before a major competition or even in a sensitive part of their training camp, it can totally ruin their uh, long-time goal. Um, in the previous studies, we've seen, you know, quite uh, low numbers of infections, so like in the uh, work of IOC uh, uh, in, during the Olympic games, we see two to 5% of uh, incidence of inter- respiratory infections, um, which is very similar to a general population. But uh, uh, a lot of the uh, previous studies, you know, they, they, there is a major limitation: uh, the infections, have not been aetiology confirmed or there is no um, control groups. and And when um, we have um, studies, especially in in the winter sports, we've seen a uh, much higher numbers. and uh, the Norwegians they, they studied uh, athletes, uh, cross country skiers during uh, uh, to the ski um, uh, competition, uh, nine day uh, ski tour. And um, and they followed them through, uh, eight eight um, seasons and and forty five uh, percent of of those athletes during the tour or uh, during um, 10 days after the tour uh, got infection, where only 16% of the athletes who stayed at home uh, got infection. So, so much higher numbers there. And similarly in our studies in Jiangchang Olympics and Sefeld and, uh, Nordic World Ski uh, Championships, we, we saw about 40% of uh, incidence in respiratory infections. So. Um, like we've we've learned during COVID, that uh, also the asymptomatic um, infections can be transmitted within teams, and and this is something kind of a silent opponent of of the athletes. Uh, the risk is there uh, to get infection, and and that can be very harmful for the athletes.
0: For sure. So I guess it's going to be it's a bread and butter topic for sport and many positions. But even if though it is bread and butter. And something that they will have experience in dealing with. There's still not a huge amount of science, and it's yourselves that are really leading in this area. And um, J- James, I know you're you've you're a big proponent of taking a very systematic approach to respiratory issues in athletic populations. And um, I'm going to ask you an- another kind of practical question: How do we know that these are infections? Uh, could they be
2: could could they be something else? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Steph, I mean, uh... You know, it could be something else. And When an athlete or an athletic individual presents with the type of symptoms we're talking about, they are very non-specific. Things like a cough or a wheeze or a sore or a tickly throat Could, could be lots of different things. And as Mara mentioned, most of the studies to date actually fail to isolate infective pathogens when an athlete or a group or cohort present with this type of Uh, symptom. Other studies have shown that they may be arising from allergy or inflammatory processes. So I think that causes a lot of diagnostic uncertainty, and it forces the clinician on the front line really into trials of blind treatment in the lack or in the absence of decent diagnostic tests. And so, I mean, if if we think back to an analogous situation, if you go back, say, I don't know, a couple of decades ago, and you think about clinicians faced with assessing chest pain, um, and if they're considering an ischemic etiology, without access to decent tests, it was often the place that people would give a blind treatment trial, something like a GTN spray. And if an athlete came, but if, if an individual came back and said, look, the GTN's helped me, it was assumed to be an ischemic etiology. And actually, sadly, for many cases and many individuals, this is still the case in, res- in the world of respiratory Care in that we're often forced into giving blind treatment trials on the basis of non specific symptoms with a hope that the athlete or athletic individual will respond in some way. And we've got to do better, really, because there are important considerations with respect to antibiotic stewardship. Uh, uh, interactions between teams and spread of infections, uh, and other important issues. So we must do better.
0: Yeah, sounds a little bit like my school report. Um, and uh, in terms of the uh, the running order of this podcast, we were going to uh, I was going to ask you, Marat, in a few questions this time about uh, diagnostics and point of care testing. I think actually now might be a nice um, a nice segue into that. So you've published before around your work in winter sports and um, around the use of point of care testing. In the same way that sport exercise medicine physicians or many will travel with an ultrasound machine, is this something you'd advocate sport exercise medicine, or is this something you foresee happening in future um, from a virology, respiratory perspective?
1: So when we are talking about uh, professional sports and uh, uh, sports um, like like the Olympic games where that uh, really are are, uh, high demands, I think this point-of-care testing is is something that we we need to consider. There are some obvious things like now with the COVID pandemic where we really want to detect um, the virus. Also the same thing with uh, influenza virus uh, where we actually have treatment for the uh, infection and and also uh, working uh, prophylaxis. Um, so, so that's something that uh, very clinically uh, valuable to know know the, the pathogen, but also when we we think about the other uh, common respiratory viruses, um, in a certain um, situations, uh, I I believe it is um, useful and and clinically val- valuable to know know the etiology. Um, of course, um, we don't have a specific treatment for most of the uh, respiratory viruses, but um, recognizing the uh, possible epidemic um, within the team, um, knowing uh, how to how to control uh, cohort the same same uh, viruses in the same economic, accommodation and um, and so on, we we know uh, we can really. Um, Work with this information that we are getting with the point of the care testing.
2: Perfect, James, I think you want to jump in there as well. yeah, I mean from from our from a perspective from a respiratory medicine standpoint, e- again, if we go back uh, within the last sort of five to ten years, typically to try and diagnose an infection, we'd be spent sending off samples such as a throat swab or a sputum sample, and then waiting for a number of days for these to come back with the results from the laboratory. Uh, And that sort of approach is a bit like driving a car and then trying to steer the car by looking in the rearview mirror. You're trying to get information which is already passed to try and inform your management decisions. So for me, certainly point of care testing enables us to make a rapid, immediate decision based on the information that we have in front of us, and so uh, hopefully transformational.
0: Absolutely. Um from the podcast so far, I'm, I'm pretty impressed that we're probably 10 minutes or so in. And we've, I don't think we've mentioned COVID, which is a nice surprise. Um, I think it probably is worth addressing the elephant in the room. Um, I, I, to both of you, really, maybe starting with you, James, um, how has COVID changed things? One of the things I might ask you to touch on is, is maybe the historical approach to infections in athletes, which is all based around the, the neck check. Um, but just maybe you want to touch on the clinical perspective, but also the, the field in general.
2: So it's presented huge challenges. And I think if you're looking for a silver lining uh, of the cloud uh, that's been this SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, then certainly our ability to diagnose things more rapidly, I think is a clear gain. So if you go back a few years and ask people about doing tests at home to try and detect infection, I mean, they, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. And yet now, for many people right across the globe, they've got pieces of kit at home And they're using them almost on a daily basis to try and identify molecular markers that uh, detect certain types of viral uh, or components of viruses. So, you know, that's a huge step forward and I think offers us the opportunity to uh, leverage that and move forward to be much more precise about how we detect all sorts of different types of infections in the context of people presenting with respiratory tract symptoms. Uh, From a clinical point of view, we've been very interested in understanding how the condition affects Athletes, particularly elite athletes, and we published some work on that. And I think some of the findings from that study that we published in the BGSM earlier this year would tend to suggest there is still probably some merit in identifying where the symptoms lie and how severe they are at their onset. And so, generally speaking, we found in our study that for athletic individuals who had symptoms that were simply confined to the upper respiratory tract, so symptoms such as a sore throat or a change in sense of taste or smell um, tended to recover quite quickly and actually could return to sport much more quickly, whereas those who had breathlessness or chest pain um, or other systemic features, the recovery was much more prolonged and actually you know in one in four individuals weren't returned fully to their sport after a month from the date of onset of their infection.
0: One of the things I'm going to ask in your role is obviously with the Olympic Committee um is how and especially with your work using the point of care testing how did you get athletes and coaches on board what for any sports medicine physicians coaches who might be listening who understand the importance and the impact their respiratory infections etc have how can you get buy-in from this population to make sure it's taken seriously uh, and can and for then, if you're trying to intervene to stop a, an epidemic going through the team, um, how do you get buy-in in that regard?
1: Well, we started the work uh, in individual sport uh, with the very high demands with uh, ventilation, and uh, you know, cross-country skiers they um, are you know almost neurotic about the the in- infection stuff. So. So for them it was not very uh, hard to convince them this is, this is something very important. Uh, they want to know uh, what virus uh, they possibly have and, and they want to know if there's others uh, in the team that uh, might, be, might, might be risky for, for them. So, um, But I think it could be uh, more difficult in team sport where they are competing. Um, also about the uh, play time and, and, and uh, you know, uh, want to be uh, in the team, even though they have uh, mild, mild uh, symptoms. So, um, but um, I think we need to understand uh, that these viruses are risk um, for the whole team. And that's why we need to know. And, and COVID uh, pandemics has really uh, taught um, us a lot of things. Um, Maybe we beforehand it's almost seemed impossible to control these epidemics, uh, but now um, we know that when people don't meet each other, uh, when they stay in quarantine, the the, the viruses uh, they they stop. We don't we don't see them, and and that's a big lesson to learn. Of course, we can't live our lives the way we did uh, during the uh lockdowns but but there's some things that uh we can still implement implement in in our lives and and uh, what we can learn um during the covid pandemic we also learned um the meaning of uh airborne uh tran- transmission route uh the importance of that and and um, i hope that the teams take the um uh, use of, of face masks, especially in a, in a sensitive situations um, carefully, um, and also the meaning of the asymptomatic uh, infections. Now we know that those, are, uh, those carry also um, a risk uh, for the team, but uh, we have still a lot more uh, questions than, than answers and, uh, and uh, that's why we need to continue our work in, in the science.
0: Absolutely. And I think if any listeners are working in, in sports medicine with teams, I think they'd be quite jealous uh, with the population you work for, because I think they sound like a very sensible bunch. Um, and you've touched on maybe some of the uh, modalities that you can use to try and reduce viral transmission. Um, and the one thing I, I think it brings us nicely potentially is onto vaccination um, and I know, again, just going back to you, James, you've recently published uh, around uh, you know, vaccination um, and a, kind of symptomology uh, uh, in kind of elite population where previously data was lacking. Um, can you just sh- share some insight into your work here and what practical messages you might want athletes, for instance, to, to know?
2: Sure, really, I mean, it's a big thanks to... Colleagues at the English Institute of Sport, particularly Mo Wooten and uh, Craig Ransen, who did the hard work on collecting this data, but we we, we looked to try and understand what happens to elite athletes in a prospective design study following uh, COVID vaccination and to follow them for 10 days after that vaccination. And actually what we found, I suppose the bottom line is that actually the prevalence of side effects and issues is roughly similar to that that's seen in the general population with other similar types of um, methodological approaches. So using a tracking app, essentially, in that there is a high prevalence of getting a sore arm after the injection, but that's short lived. Um, And then there is a prevalence of fatigue. But again, those features are short lived and actually in a very, very small proportion of athletes do they impact ability to continue to train and prepare. And many of the athletes that we included were preparing for Olympic or Paralympic competition. So I, I hope that data acts to reassure athletes who, or athletic individuals uh, more widely, who have reservations that vaccinations might seriously impact their ability to train. Um, and in fact, there's data emerging which suggests that performing exercise in and around the time of vaccination is very good for enhancing the immune uptake of the vaccine. and so there's no data to suggest that you should withhold exercise in the context of a vaccine.
0: I think that brings us nicely kind of full circle. Mara, you've touched on it already once. Um, I'm going to ask you maybe for one or two quick points and then uh, coming to you to finish then, James. Um, What is next in this area? What are you most looking forward to in uh, and around respiratory health in in athletic populations?
1: Well, (laughs) I think we need to understand better uh, uh, of these uh, uh, mild symptoms of infection, are there a risk uh, for um, athletes? How, how do we need to uh, react on those? Um, I, we, we, we saw that um, 2019 uh, Nordic Ski World Championships athletes had seven times higher risk uh, for infection compared to controls. Then two years later, uh, during the uh, COVID pandemic, we had no infections during the World Championships. So a huge difference there. So we there are ways to control it. There's a community level, there's an individual level uh, of, of uh, management uh, that, that we, we need to be doing. But uh, you know, most of the infections that we have are mild. Um, uh, how, uh, what the athletes can do, uh, during the mild um, uh, mild infections and mild, mild illnesses, it's it's something that we really need to study more.
2: So for me, I think a big challenge is getting um, rapid access to the best diagnostics and making those very simple, cheap, accessible um, and thus broadly um, enabling sports clinicians facing this problem to get an accurate diagnosis and then to be able to give the best types of treatment. We can't accept blind treatment trials anymore. That goes for asthma, not just infection. Um, and you know, I hope, I hope that the silver lining from the SARS-CoV-2 scenario will allow us to use these types of techniques and deliver these uh, over the next few years, um, both in training situations, but also in competition.
0: Wonderful. And and if we have got some budding uh, sports medicine cl- uh, uh, clinicians who are interested in this field uh, or people with an interest in respiratory medicine in general, um, James, people can find you on Twitter. Yes, they can. Breathe to win. Wonderful. Uh, and Marit, where's the, where's the best place to find you if you want to kind of ask questions or find more of your work?
1: Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not uh, yet in Twitter, but uh, you can you can email me and uh, uh, Markwalton. at uh, uh, olympiakomitea.fi.
0: Perfect. And we'll start the petition to get you on Twitter uh, as soon as this podcast is over. Um, I'd just like to thank you both for your time uh, this kind of very now dark Monday evening. Um what we'll do is for any listeners who might want to to get links to the, to some of the papers you've mentioned, we'll make sure there are links in the show notes to the podcast, and we'll make sure they're also easily found on the BGSM social media channels. Um, so as we finish recording, I just want to thank you again, both for your time, and to wish you both a very Merry Christmas.